Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God for our meditation this morning is today's Gospel, Mark chapter 6. I'll share with you again these words of our Savior. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. This is the Word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, an episode of MASH popped into my head as I was studying the portion of God's Word before us this morning. In it, a soldier is severely wounded in his leg. In fact, the wound is so severe that the leg cannot be saved. It had to be amputated. Now, this particular soldier also just happened to be the star running back for the University of Iowa football team. And so when he woke up and he found out that his leg was gone, he went into a deep depression. He didn't think life was worth living anymore. He contemplated killing himself. In one scene, Hawkeye is sitting by his bedside trying to encourage him, trying to cheer him up, and he says to him, I know how you feel. And immediately the soldier explodes and he says, No, you don't. You can't possibly know. And he was right. Hawkeye was a surgeon, probably had performed many amputations, but he had never lost a leg himself. And so he could feel sadness and pity for this soldier who had lost his leg, but he didn't really know what he was going through. Now that, of course, is a fictional TV show, but the idea that it conveys, I think, is a true one. Someone who hasn't walked in our shoes, someone who hasn't been through the things that we have been through, doesn't really know what we are going through. Jesus does. Jesus knows all too well what we, his followers, are experiencing and going through each and every day. He knows what it's like to be rejected for what you believe and teach and confess. He even knows what it's like to be rejected by the members of one's own family. Last week, we heard the amazing account of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. And after that amazing miracle of compassion, he and his disciples traveled to his hometown of Nazareth. And on Saturday, the Sabbath, they did what faithful Jews do on the Sabbath. They went to synagogue. They went to church. And you know something? The, the synagogue service really wasn't all that different from what we do in our services. The people said prayers. They sang hymns, not from Christian worship a Lutheran hymnal, of course, but from the book of Psalms. They listened to scripture readings and they heard a sermon. And just like our sermons, their sermons were based on a text from the Holy Scriptures, specifically from the Old Testament scriptures. One custom they had that was different, generally the, the local rabbi isn't the one who would give the sermon. They would invite uh, a guest rabbi to be the guest speaker. And on this day, in his hometown, Jesus was invited to be the guest speaker. Now, we would have expected this to be a, a joyful and delightful homecoming, right? You can almost read the headline in the Nazareth News. Local boy makes good. You can imagine people would have been slapping him on the back and saying, thanks for being here. It's so good to have you back. Thanks for your message today, Rabbi. But there was none of that. The people had nothing but questions. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? 
and they took offense at him. There's an old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. I'm reminded of something that we find in St. John's Gospel. John tells us, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The worshipers on that Sabbath Saturday knew Jesus well. They knew him as their former neighbor. They knew him as the son of Mary, and perhaps some of them erroneously thought that he was also the son of Joseph. They knew him as the carpenter. Perhaps they even had things in their homes that Jesus had made or repaired. They could accept all these things. All of that was fine. But they wouldn't accept Jesus' claims about himself. They could not accept his teaching. Even miracles would not convince them that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the promised Messiah whom they had all been waiting for and the Savior of the world. And I have to tell you, that was most certainly the message that came from his his lips that Saturday in that synagogue. You see, Jesus had preached in Nazareth. He preached in Nazareth on a different occasion as well. And this is what he preached. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That passage from Isaiah is, of course, all about the promised Messiah. And after reading that scripture text, Jesus said this. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus read the text and then he announced the theme. I'm the one who's talked about in those verses. I am the promised Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. And you know what? The people rejected his message on that occasion too. In fact, they were so upset with him that they took him outside to the brow of a hill and they tried to throw him off and kill him. None of us here this morning have ever been pushed to the edge of a cliff because of our Christian confession. And in one sense, I would say that's a very good thing. I don't want to be thrown off of a cliff. But on the other hand, it's not a good thing if it's because we Christians just really aren't doing a great job of confessing. Sometimes we are not rejected for what we believe because people around us really just don't see all that much to reject. And here's what I mean. Do our words always show clearly to those around us that we follow Jesus, the Word made flesh? Or would our words often be more appropriate for the gossip column or dirty joke time in the break room? Do our neighbors always see us faithfully following our Savior and what we think, what we do uh, as they watch us? Do they see us, for example, always getting into that car on Sunday morning to come to God's house to hear his word? Or do they often see us just doing those things that others around us do on Sunday morning, packing up the car for the golf course, the lake, the campground? Do we seize every opportunity that our Lord lays before us to share the reason for the hope that we have with others? Or do we sometimes clam up? Do we sometimes try to avoid that uncomfortable situation as if to say to those around us, you know what, Uh, I'm not all that worried about what you believe or where you spend eternity. I just don't want to bother you and I don't want to be bothered by you. Are we known in our neighborhoods for people who as people who show kindness and care and compassion to others? Or do we sometimes come across as disinterested and cynical and uncaring as the rest of the world around us? 
You know something? Sometimes people reject Jesus and his gospel message because they simply can't stomach his followers. The Apostle Paul said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But sometimes we do just the opposite. We don't glorify God. We don't draw people to him. Instead, by our words and by our behaviors, we often drive people away from Jesus. But I want you to know, my friends, Jesus knows what we're going through. Now, I don't mean that Jesus has sinned in those ways that I just mentioned to you, or in any other way. Jesus, of course, never sinned. But he does know what it's like to live in our flesh, and he knows what it is like to be tempted. Listen to these profound words from Hebrews chapter 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. There's the difference, right? Jesus never sinned. And what a huge difference that makes for us. You know, in that synagogue, Jesus proclaimed himself clearly to be the promised Messiah and the Savior of the world. And that he is. Jesus is our Savior. He is our substitute who did in our place what we cannot do for ourselves. He lived that holy, sin-free life of perfect obedience. Jesus never failed to glorify God in everything that he thought and said and did. He's absolutely absolutely sinless. And yet this one who had no sin became sin for us. This sinless one allowed himself to be numbered with the sinners and sealed in a tomb because of our sins, our offenses, and our rebellion against God. And the holy blood that he willingly shed on that cross, my friends, drips down on us and covers us and washes away every sinful stain. His blood has paid for every last sin. And my friends, his resurrection on the third day puts the exclamation point on his statement that it is finished. Every sin is paid for because our Lord Jesus lived and died and rose for us. Our ancient enemy, the devil, is defeated. Our sins are all forgiven and our eternal future is secure. It was for this message, for the gospel message, that our Lord Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. My friends, when we are rejected for our faith, for our confession of Jesus Christ, Jesus knows how we feel. He knows what we're going through. And perhaps more importantly, our Lord Jesus has the will and knows how to help. He gives us a beautiful promise. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is always by our side. And in his word and sacraments, Jesus is present in a special way to strengthen our faith and to empower our witness in a sin-darkened world. Yes, we are going to be rejected and dishonored for our Christian faith and our Christian confession, but my friends, we will never face that rejection alone. You know, though, there, there is one kind of rejection that most of us, if not all of us, face that's, that's harder than others. It just hurts more. It hits closer to home. And that's being rejected for your faith by the members of your own family, people whom you love and who are very dear to you. 
Seven centuries before our Lord Jesus was born, this is how the prophet Isaiah, under the Spirit's inspiration, described his life. He said, He was, a despi he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. A good little summary of the kind of life that Jesus lived on this earth. It was not a life uh, of fun and popularity. It was a life of sorrow and rejection. And perhaps one of the greatest sorrows in Jesus' life was being rejected by his own brothers and sisters, the members of his own family. And yes, Jesus did have brothers and sisters. They are mentioned prominently in our text. Who were they? Well, we have no reason to doubt that they were simply the natural children born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus' virgin birth. So, if you want to be technical about it, they were Jesus' half-brothers and half-sisters. Well, these half-brothers and half-sisters at times thought that Jesus was more than half-crazy. We find out at one point that they said, He's out of his mind. And John tells us in his gospel that even his own brothers did not believe in him. How sad that is. Jesus rejected by the members of his own family. But my friends, later on, after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, some things changed. In 1 Corinthians, we find Jesus' brothers listed prominently in a list of believers that included even the Apostle Peter. And we know that Jesus' brother James became a great leader, a great pillar in the church of Jerusalem. My friends, this is encouraging, isn't it? Because we all have families, and families are often split into two groups, aren't they? I'm not talking about Packers and Bears fans or something silly like that. I'm talking about believers and unbelievers. Most of us have family members who do not confess Christ as their Savior, who are unbelievers, or whose faith is very weak or troubled. And they often reject us for our Christian faith and our Christian way of living. I mean, when you speak up about a brother's sinful, immoral lifestyle, or a sister's lack of church attendance and devotion to the Lord Jesus, or a son's abuse of alcohol, you can suddenly become a pretty unpopular person. Just any time you speak up about God's Word and Jesus, suddenly uh, everybody stops talking and nobody wants to even look at you. And you can begin to get the blame for causing all the trouble and upset in the family, the reason the family isn't getting along. And somebody might even say something like uh, to you like, what, what do you think you are, Mr. Perfect? You're just as bad as the rest of us. But my friends, don't give up hope. Jesus' family rejected him at first too, but later they put their trust in him as their Lord and their Savior. The same can happen in your family. So don't be discouraged. Keep on living your Christian faith. Keep on speaking your Christian confession. Keep on speaking God's word, both law and gospel. Keep on telling your family about the Savior whom you love and whom you serve. Keep on sharing the good news. Remember, it is the power of God that brings salvation. Yeah, your brother may reject what you're saying to him. He may reject God's word and tell you to quit preaching to him and go jump in a lake. But you never know. Later on, the Spirit may work through that word in his heart and change his heart and turn him around and bring him back to the Lord in repentance and faith. 
And what a happy occasion it is when a wandering soul returns to the Lord. Jesus described it this way. He said, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And my friends, for us, that joy is multiplied when that one sinner who repents is a member of our own family. I know how you feel. That's annoying when it comes from somebody who truly has no idea what it is we're going through. But when it comes from the heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what a comfort it is. What a comfort it is to know that Jesus can sympathize with us and empathize with us. Jesus knows what we are going through. And the one who has been there and done that, Oh, my friends, he forgives all our sins, he empowers our witness in his name, and he promises to be with us always. All thanks and praise be to him forever and ever. Amen.